All right, we are January 3rd, 2022. This is lesson 2.2 about science. Ruth and Nick, three, two, one. Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome back. We hope you're digging into the material and you're cooking along with gas now. And welcome to lesson 2.2. So in today's lesson, we are going to cover the topic of the process of science. And as always, we thank you for taking and continuing to take complete responsibility for your health because taking care of you takes care of all of us. So if you have questions um, about the lesson or you want to contribute, message us on Slack. Let's dig in. Alrighty. So Nikki Pop, how are you today? I'm doing well, Ruth. I already knew that. <laughs> We're gonna start with unpacking the definition of science. And so we define science as a method or a system for seeking truth. Um, so will you start us off by elaborating on the idea and the definition of science? Yeah, I think that's a good start. A system for seeking truth. Um, I think science is a way of helping us prevent ourselves from believing something that isn't true uh, or from not believing something that is true. And so science is like the fundamental tool that allows us to distinguish for ourselves by taking responsibility for that discovery instead of just believing someone else. Um, I think science is the, the skill of asking good questions and having those questions be part of a, a systematic process that sort of seeks to answer those questions with very sort of concrete objectives, right? Um, and I think fundamentally it's a set of tools, right? Sci the, the process of science is a tool, but it consists of a subset of methods and tools that allow us to turn data into information, information into knowledge, and then hopefully knowledge into wisdom, which is like the essence of, of um, the essence of the signal that can come from a batch of information. And I think underlying science is, is really a mindset of exploration and a way of thinking about the world um, with the intention of trying to get to truth collectively. Like individually, we seek truth. Collectively, we seek truth. And so science is sort of like the consensus mechanism that we all agree is the best that we've got right now that we can all use to determine truth so that we can compare our truths. And we'll talk about different kinds of truths as well. Um, and I think, I, but, but, like believing what other people say as truth without being able to verify it yourself is a very easy way to get ourselves into trouble. So I think that's like the fundamental utility of science is that we can all wield the tool of science to gain access to truth so that we're not manipulated. I think that's like the really potent part of it. It's so funny. Two things came to me and I, I want to pinpoint or I like how you say double click. I wanna double click on two things that you were talking about, which is that the whole idea of like, yeah, 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 I know I, that I got that, but that double click on what you said about, so we collectively sort of, especially now during these like very titillating times. <laughs> titillating, I like that word. <laughs> we kind of all are on board with the idea of science as um, a truth-seeking methodology, right? So like you 
also said that we look to science to figure out ways to, to have a general consensus of what is to be true. But then you also said about talking about the idea about looking at what could not be true. And maybe, would you just maybe like talk a little bit about that particular part? I know we're gonna unpack this a little bit um, more as we go along, but the idea of like that, that science has like the two parts, you know, like what is true and then what is not true around belief systems and stuff. Yeah, I think, I think a, an important thing to mention there is that science is an error correcting mechanism. So you're always trying to correct errors. You, you can never say with full certainty that this is the truth is unequivocal because the information we get tomorrow or in future might prove that wrong. And so I think really like my mental model of science at a macro level is science is an error correcting mechanism that I can apply to any truth at any time to confirm whether this remains true or not, knowing full well that new information is coming to light all the time and that that information should be put to the test and compared to our existing information to see if there's like a, a synergy or if they disagree with one another. And if they disagree, then we employ the tool of, of science to determine what is the more accurate truth right now based on the tool of science. So yeah, I think it's, it's always, you know, you can never prove anything right with science. Um, you can only prove things wrong. And the inability to prove something wrong is kind of an indirect way of saying this is the best truth, best truth we have right now. So this is the most right right now. But I think people conflate science as like something that tells you what is exactly true that can never be challenged. And that's like a really religious perspective of science, right? The, the religion of science mm -hmm. states that um, you must believe in these things because science said so. And the only way that, and, and that's allows science to be easily weaponized, right? Like it allows us to be manipulated because fundamentally we agree that like, because science is a good tool. But if we don't know how to do science, someone might say this is the science. And if we can't actually check that, then we are left um, having to believe what someone said without being able to verify it. And that's why I think that science is a tremendous tool if we all wield it responsibly so that uh, we don't have to trust any one entity or one person because humans are, are human, right? We make mistakes. We have biases. Um, you know, there's incentives that sometimes make people um, misrepresent science. There's also people who don't fundamentally understand how to do good science. And so, you know, it's not necessarily they're trying to trick you or do something bad, but they might not be doing it as best as possible. They might not have all the information available uh, or their current perspective may be based on old information. So I think, yeah, using science as a constantly employable tool that is an error correcting mechanism to make sure we're not fooling ourselves and to breathe, believing something is true that isn't or not believing something um, that actually is true. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think this might be a good place to just briefly talk about like how in, in like way, way long, long time ago, like in the 15, 16, 1700s, like as the, like before there was actual like science that had a language and a methodology to it, like step-by-step type of, um, these are the steps to determining if we can, if, if we can repeat this data enough so much that there's like actual certainty that this thing that, or this idea or this, whatever it is that we're working on, whatever experiment we're working on is true or not. Before there was that, it was like blind faith. So I just want to um, talk about here, 
my heart always beats really fast when I know I'm on the right track about talking about truth in a certain way that is a little uncomfortable because like before there was blind faith and religion it was religion was a certain way to control like the masses and if we look at the way the way that science has evolved over time accidentally or sometimes with intention we now put people in commercials and white lab coats and like we science is the new religion like you were saying that we trust right so like without actually I actually went back and looked at like Cub Scouts and Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts um, science uh, experiments. Cause like in the Scouts, you are taught, do they, I don't know if they have Scouts in Canada. I'm they sure do. they do. Yeah, they do. So, um, so they teach Scouts like the scientific method and they are just simple tools for teaching little people how to become citizen scientists. Right. So like, uh, I think that we become more easily controlled if we have blind faith in the mysteries or the unseen things and then people, because before people were actually actually literate, there were only a few people that could read and then tell the story. So then people just trusted. And I think that's kind of what we're facing today that if we don't actually start to understand the process of science, we fall prey to that lack of literacy, right? Yes. And I think we, we are, I mean, people are now saying trust the science as a way to say, trust us with blind faith yeah and oftentimes they come at it with the assumption that science is too complex to do today so you can't do it so you can trust us because we've done the science uh, and you can't question us because that's questioning science and that's a really slippery slope to go down because mm-hmm. it's fundamentally um, a lie and they're relying on the asymmetry of people not being literate in science um, and and using that asymmetry of understanding to essentially manipulate science and put it forth as the science, right? Like trust mm-hmm. the science is the, is the most cringy line that I've heard these days. And I hear it a lot in Canada when in reality, they're not actually even reflective of the science that's available, right? It's, it's the science. You're only allowed to look at the science people tell you you're allowed to look at. And that is fundamentally unscientific. So mm-hmm. we got to be careful combined, with it. Yeah. And that combined with people not having enough time and then looking for, um, even like maybe bad players that you're supposed to trust. So time, uh, lack of time and lack of understanding just is like a really nasty combination. And then um, also I w- wanted to just say really quick that like before there was ever science, there was we, there was still science, you know? Yeah. Like people like fire, there was probably a lot of trial and error to creating, um, you know, a campfire or a candlelight. And we didn't understand the null hypothesis at that point. So science was going on by the, by the common people before there was, it was ever commandeered by a large group of well-intentioned perhaps people who just say, trust the science. Yeah. Like prehistoric, prehistoric science. Uh, Ooh, we created fire, touch fire, finger ouchy. Science says no touchy fire anymore because fire hot, (laughs) you know, like that's, this (laughs) is science is really just trial and error. So we do science all the time. Like I look at my niece who's like, eight months old, I think now. And like, she's doing science at a high repetition because she's learning how to move through trial and error. And the the process of science reflects the process of how we learn of how our our brains learn to move as kids. So, Mm -hmm. so I think science is like the jargony way of unpacking this thing that we all employ all the time, but we don't really conceptualize. And -hmm. I think it's important to unpack it because then we all have a detailed framework to actually employ as a consensus, knowing that I'm doing science using the same principles as Ruth, same principles as Liz, so that we, when we compare our results, 
we're on equal footing, understanding that we've all done, we've all used the same tool, which is the best tool we have right now for determining truth. And we can compare our results because we agree on consensus that the tool of science is valuable. So, so that's like, so you're starting to really talk about science as a process, not like a thing. Yes. So you have in our notes, you've talked about like people often mistake a research paper for science. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a research paper is the application of science. But what one paper says is not what science says, because papers, the research papers themselves must be viewed within the context of science, as in like, how well was this paper done? How meaningful um, was the conclusion they came to based on the results? Who are they mm -hmm. saying that these results apply to? That's science. That's the scientific evaluation of a research paper. And I think, you know, if research is the systematic investigation of something, we need to view it as an application of science and also know full well that not all research is good science. Good science on humans is like super hard to do because we're so multivariate and we're so unique that it's very hard to do science on a human in a way that isolates variables and will give a concrete truth. And so we have to, you know, look at a research paper as like a piece of a puzzle, a thousand piece puzzle. That puzzle piece alone is not the picture of the puzzle. It's one element that, that kind of comes together to create a coherent picture. And I think people who don't understand science um, don't understand that quoting a research paper means very little in the context of like stating a truth to guide decisions. So a lot of research isn't good science. The current process of funding research leads, leads to a huge amount of bias. I think this is something that's sort of built into our current system. Um, a research study conclusion isn't the truth. It's an element that can be used in the quest to determine truth. And so if we view science as the process of continuing to ask good questions until no more good questions can be asked and we have like a good data set um, instead of like this instance of science that's, that is the absolute truth, I think that's a much better way of viewing it. So science as a process of asking questions rather than a single instance of an application of science being portrayed as truth. And so, yeah, like even a single really high quality study is a piece of the puzzle, not the whole thing. And I think that's important to note. Yeah. And maybe now would be just a good time just to briefly just state the steps of like the scientific process, right? Like it starts with questions. Um, Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just say real quick, like the way that I view it. Yeah. I love my statistics class when in, in grad school, my, my statistics um, professor. Did you actually, like, I did not like mine. I loved it, but I think it was because of the professor though. Yeah. And the way that he explained it. And I just was like, I remember thinking like I was really stimulated by the idea of the null hypothesis, right? Because I was like, yeah, we're going to learn science. So scientific method was actually part of my statistics class. That's why I liked it. And um, they, and he talked about like the null hypothesis, which was like, he kept saying like the whole idea is to prove ourselves wrong. Like we have a question about something, whatever that is. So I was doing, I was gonna write my thesis on free throw shooting, like systematic free throw shooting and the way that we do it. And so I was like really interested in where he was going with this, but he was like talking about how we can apply science to anything. And that we start with a question that we have and then we come up with the idea of what the answer might be. But the null hypothesis would be that we assume that the answer that we have is wrong, which is like, I never hear that in 
popular science today talking about like proving ourselves wrong. Like the whole point was to like uncover as many of the errors like you were saying to actually prove our hypothesis wrong. And, um, and, and so that's you important were... because, you know, you can have a, 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 a hypothesis, a, a guess um, of what the truth is. And you can find many ways, thousands of ways to prove that that's true. But all you need is one to prove it wrong for you to basically say, okay, well, we know that now, right? Like if you mm -hmm. say um, swans are white, I can point to a thousand white swans to say, yeah, it's true. Swans are white. But as soon as someone spots a black swan, well, swans aren't white anymore. So it's, much, yeah. it's easier to just poke a hole in something, prove that that is um, a true hole. And then you move on to a better question, because if all we're trying to yes. do is say, this is our hypothesis, here's how we proved it right. Well, it's like, I don't care how you proved it right, because you can do that many ways. And it, really what I care about is how do we prove it wrong? Because if we can't prove it wrong, it is right. If you prove it yes. right, it doesn't necessarily mean it's right, because you need to take a challenge, take a stab at proving it wrong. Yeah. And there was just like, I have so many awesome flashbacks from this class, because um, the coming up with better questions was actually the fun part, you know, like. That's you, the important part. It's the important part. And then I was just, and it was just like the, what, what I came away from that class is that this is a never ending process and that you're never completely, truly 100% certain right. about anything that you study. And then it was so funny when you were talking about human error, because I had, so we had this laboratory and we were studying neuroplasticity. So we were doing like, I mean, and these were super in depth. They had grad assistants, which they should have never had us doing this, but um, they had us like, hooking people up to like all kinds of like electrodes and then like finger tapping. And so it would take like two hours to prep the participants to do these like in-depth finger studies, like where they were using their imagination, but you had to freaking turn the machine on. And there was a famous thing about how we would prep everything. And then we would do the whole test and we had never turned the actual freaking machine on. And so my, my friends and I were like, oh, sorry, Dr. LaCourse, if you're listening to this, <laughs> but we'd be like, what's another set of data, <laughs> but the human error, you know, like just so much, we think about so much and then we just make mistakes all the time. And anyway, so the, 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 the quick process, right? So like we have a question, we come up with the theory and then we design an experiment, we collect data and then we compare the data we come up with the results and then we compare the data. And then, and then obviously if you're doing the experiment correctly, you have to keep trying to poke holes in your argument and then find, um, excuse me for one second. Hello friends, we're back. Uh, Ruth is at a public library. Someone came into the room that she's in and said, you're not allowed to sit on the floor. So you're, you have to, you have to chair your hips or else you're not going to be allowed in the library. That's super weird. She elected to kneel instead. Rebel. Yes, I'm, kneel I'm kneeling on the I'm kneeling on the ground, and we I might get thrown out of the library for not right. sitting in the chair. That's okay, so goofy. Go. It's so goofy. But next up, we want to talk about applied science because really, science the, the process of science at its simplest is trial and error done systematically, right? Not just trial and error done nonsensically. It's like trial and error done systematically to achieve a certain objective of discovering something, and. I think health fundamentally, and you know, like why is the scientific process? Because why is the scientific process relevant? Because health is fundamentally trial and error done systematically with your own life, with your own body, with your own mind. And like I was mentioning before, you know, babies are great little scientists. Um, and 
you know, the movement of skill, the, the skill of movement rather is acquired through trial and error. The personal understanding of our own health and our own well-being is acquired through trial and error. And so doing trial and error systematically by taking notes and seeking to detect patterns and then building a, a, a sort of a personal set of truths of what is true related to health in my life through the experiments I've done, that's really applied science. So the Footner program is just an applied science program to the realm of health. Um, mm -hmm. So that we're not telling people prescriptively what to do. We're giving them a framework to apply the method of science to their own experience uh, and to their own health. And I think that's really the essence of what this, of why we're talking about the scientific process. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, we are talking about health and this might be a good place to introduce um, the idea that we become our own scientists so that like we, we sort of introduced the idea in the beginning of the lesson about how if we don't elect to personally um, try to understand the scientific process and that how we participate in the scientific process every single day. You know, we've we've already mentioned a couple of times in a couple of lessons about plugging in the toaster or whatever, whenever you're trying to figure out what's going wrong with your computer. I have to restart my computer 14 times a week because that's, that's the reproducible scientific success that I've had about like whenever I don't get sound. And I don't, I don't actually know what the root of the problem is, but I've collected a ton of data on a daily basis about what works and what doesn't, trial and error. But I think it's like, we, we talked a little bit, Nick, about introducing the idea of becoming like a citizen scientist or becoming your own scientist, right? Because, um, and I was, as I was prepping for this, I started thinking about what it means to have civic duty. And I was looking up the idea of civic duty in, um, like it, when we live in a society, we have the, the we, we agree on a certain, um, we get to live freely within a society. Um, and allegedly. then with, allegedly with within that, and, and with that, we also, um, we have like certain roles and responsibilities. So like voting rights are one of those, like you have the right to vote. It's your civic duty to exercise the right to vote according to like the, um, the, the, the papers. So I was thinking about why wouldn't, couldn't we shift? What if we shifted our view and our perspective about understanding science as a civic duty, because I think that the power that there's like these power imbalances that happen if we don't. And it's not like, I'm not trying to say like, let's change the world and go out and protest or whatever. I'm just saying like taking responsibility for your own health by applying the scientific method on a daily basis and truly deeply understanding the, um, the agency that we have. Um, I think it makes for a more well-balanced and and better world because well for obvious reasons yeah i agree and i think becoming your own health scientist you know as i mentioned before humans are very hard to study um in order to come up with like these overarching umbrella conclusions because mm -hmm. we're all of our individual experience are vastly different uh, our body is a complex system of systems that has adapted to our life experience. So if our life experiences are different, our bodies are different, our minds are different. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you're a complex, multivariate, unique organism, if you trust someone else to do science on another group of people, those people aren't you. And so their conclusions might not actually be good for you if you apply them. 
Um, and so, you know, if you understand first principles, if you apply science in your life to determine truths, um, those truths are going to be much more accurate in terms of how they apply to you than truths that someone else is telling you should apply to you. And obviously there's common elements in all of our physiology, but I think at the end of the day, if you become your own scientist, you gain access to the best science about what's best for your health. Um, I think becoming a scientist, you know, really good scientists that I know have a, a keen awareness of their biases, right? We have all these biases as humans that affect us, whether we realize them or not. Most of our biases, we don't realize. So even just looking up common human biases and knowing how to identify them in ourselves, which then allows us to identify them in others, uh, is very important. So understanding our biases, uh, mm -hmm. having productive skeptic skepticism. So question what you're unsure of, but, but also recognize when valid evidence is presented to change your mind. That's a really important one, right? Mm -hmm. Productive skepticism means questioning things you're unsure of, but when valid evidence presents itself, you change your mind. Um, which and begs, which begs the, um, which begs the like state of mind to be open-minded and critically thinking all yeah. the time, you know, like you have to remain open-minded and assume that there's a, a real possibility that the, what your belief system is, ha can, can change and, and it should probably change and shift as you grow and you age yep. and you live life, you know? Yep. I agree. And at the end of the day, if you become your own health scientist, you become immune to, um, manipulation or people giving you sometimes well-intentioned recommendations, which may not benefit your health, right? Prove it to yourself. At the end of the day, the only person that can prove something to you is yourself. And if you have a good tool for being able to prove something as true or not, uh, you're going to be much better off in determining your own truths and doing what's best for you. If you can do mm -hmm. your own science on your own body. Um, and, and I think the community element here is very important, right? Like you're doing science, you're, uh, working on understanding health from Ruth's perspective. I'm doing the same from Nick's perspective. There's probably going to be a lot of commonalities. So when we share our science, our insights, you know, science allows information to go to knowledge, uh, or data to information, information and knowledge, knowledge to wisdom. When Ruth and Nick share their wisdom and see where things differ, we can then work backwards and say, okay, well, who's done what science, what data do we have? And what is the actual truth? Um, and maybe this is a good place to talk about truth because there's different types of truth. Um, you know, there's personal truths, which are something, uh, you know, personal truths are things that individuals find to be true. Um, and that no one can tell you isn't true, right? Cause it's your personal truth, right? If you, th if your personal truth is that the earth is flat, I can't tell you it's not, uh, cause that's your personal truth and you can hold anything as you, uh, anything you want as a personal truth. An objective truth is something that is true, whether or not you believe it to be true, right? Like we look at gravity as a fundamental truth, fundamental objective truth. Gravity is a force that acts on all of us on earth, on everything on earth. That is an objective truth. If Ruth doesn't believe gravity exists, it doesn't change the fact that reality exists. Um, mm -hmm. And so personal truths and objective truths, and to me, truth is just reality, right? Like truth is, a, I think we get the word truth gets thrown around a lot, but at the end of the day, truth is reality. Um, some people find truth to be too uncomfortable. If you've lived in a different reality, your own personal reality, because at the end of the day, we kind of get to curate our own reality. We choose who we spend time around. We choose what, what we consume, what media we consume, what we look at. And so all of those things collectively form what we consider to be reality. And if your 
in, you know, in, in the virtual world, if you're curating a reality that doesn't align with reality in person, according to the laws of nature, eventually there's an incongruency and you can either say, well, actual reality, I don't really want to tune into that. This is a more comfortable reality for me to accept. And every incongruency that you face is going to give you some sort of discomfort. And you can either mm -hmm. choose to, to change your personal truths to align with reality, or you can try and force other people to adopt your personal truths, which I think we're seeing a lot of right now. But well, I'm just, yeah. it's like what we're seeing a lot of this, like in this very instant right now right. in my library situation, right? Like, I'm <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. As you're talking, yeah. I'm like, we're going through this very thing. We may as well use it as an example. And I was thinking about the idea, I mean, this might seem kind of dramatic, but it's like the whole idea where like we, we live in a time right now where it's kind of, uh, it's getting increasingly harder to bridge the gap between like actually speaking with people because it seems like personal truths have become, um, like people are unwilling to even like have a conversation about what might be objective truth and what might be personal truth. For, let's just take, for example, the fact that the library which is a place I absolutely love. I mean, you, I love coming to the public library because it's like the most democratic place that I know. Like everybody, it's all inclusive. Everybody can come in. Like they teach like homeless people coming in using the computers and they're and everybody gets treated like they are equals. But it's just so weird because like I was sitting on the floor and and my per, my science, my data collection about like what sitting on the ground means for the health of my feet and my hips and my whole entire body is something that does not at all uh, jive with like the, an, an, this whole policy of the public library is that you have to sit in a chair. So it's kind of weird because I'm like, well, there's no way, like Nick was saying, maybe you could ask them like, why? But I was thinking, like, imagine that conversation, like, I work for the Foot Collective, <laughs> the Foot Nerd Program, and it's better for our hips and our whole entire bodies to not sit with our hips flexed to 90 degrees and our knees flexed to 90 degrees over time. I mean, I guess, but like, it just seems like such an uh, insurmountable mountain to climb, you know, like, I don't know, it just well, seems like yeah. this whole data collection and like bridging the gap between personal and objective truth. Yeah. And I mean, let's be real. What that guy said has nothing to do with science and has everything to do with an arbitrary set of rules that no one's questioned yet. Um, and you know, like in situations like that, I've started to just say like, okay, well, whenever I get triggered or I'm told to do something I don't want to do, and it's really messed up. Um, I try and anchor myself in the first three things that come out of my mouth should be questions mm -hmm. instead of, cause obviously you want to tell that person like, that's stupid. I don't want to do that. Um, you have no reason to, to like wager power over me because I don't want to sit in a chair. That's what I want to say. But what I would say is like, well, why? Oh, because they're just rules. Well, why were those rules created? You know, like what, what is, what is the inherent danger of me sitting on the floor? Mm -hmm. You know, and just wait an uncomfortable period of time. Cause they're not gonna be able to answer. They haven't thought of that, right? Yeah. Maybe that makes them think of, mm, maybe that rule should be erased Cause it makes absolutely no sense. Um, Anyway, regardless, yeah. types of okay. truth, yeah. personal truth, objective truth, objective truth. Um, mm -hmm. you know, the whole saying ignorance is bliss really holds true because you can just ignore all of the hints you're getting from the world in your own experience or from others and adopt whatever personal truths and whatever alternate reality you want. But at the end of the day, I think 
Science doesn't care what your opinion is. Science doesn't care about your feelings. Science is literally just a quest to find objective truths so that we can talk about reality as reality actually is instead of as alternate realities that we're all separately creating, right? Because when we're not allowed to, and I think when we disconnect from each other and we're all literally in our own virtual reality, not in actual like ground level reality, we start to like dissipate and become disintegrated, right? We all mm -hmm. start to adopt our own things. And then when we actually meet in person or we have conversations, we're like, no, no, no. What you said is totally different than what I'm seeing, which is mm -hmm. different than what Jim's seeing, because we all have a different social media feed, which is our interpretation of reality when we're not allowed to meet in person. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think science, the process of science is a, a way to have a framework that we can all agree on by consensus that like, this is probably the best way of determining truth. So let's all employ it, compare our results and move forward with some collective sense making so we can get a, a shared sense of what reality is. Experiment. Is it experiment time? Yeah. Just okay. talking about the notion of like designing productive experiments. Cause you can, you can do a lot of experiments, but I think the whole notion here is that energy is scarce. Time is scarce. We need to design productive experiments that give us valuable results, not just like random things, unless you got a huge amount of time and you can do whatever you want. Um, so I think fundamentally it's like, number one, what question, if you're designing an experiment, what question are you, are you looking to answer? What is your hypothesis? And I think getting, working through some reps of creating a hypothesis, like what is the qu fundamental question you're asking, which is guiding you to do this experiment is a good exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the next question is, okay, I know the question I'm asking. So how can I create an experiment that gives me a high quality piece of data that can refute, um, whatever my hypothesis is. Okay. My question is, um, what's the best way to improve my ankle mobility? Okay. That's like the fundamental question I'm asking because I want to improve my ankle mobility. Well, my hypothesis might be the best way to improve ankle mobility is to, um, work on my ankle mobility at N range in whatever range I'm trying to expand for five minutes. So that's my experiment. Okay. If I, if I, that's my hypothesis. If I work on my ankle range five minutes every day, my ankle range will improve. Um, and then you create an experiment to kind of generate that data. Um, and then at the end, when you have all this data, you look at the data and you see, does the data confirm or deny my hypothesis? Does this answer my question with a good amount of, um, like with a high degree of certainty, nothing is absolutely certain, but you can have a, a good degree of certainty. If you have a lot of data that indicates the same pattern. Um, and then the question is, okay, well, I've, I've acquired this knowledge. How can I apply this knowledge in other ways? Like maybe I can apply this same framework to another joint of my body that's stiff and I want to work on. Um, and you know, in the end, it's like whether or not your hypothesis is true is going to have one of two answers. Yes, it's true. Um, or no, it's not true. And then that determines where you go next. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, if you formally get good at designing experiments, um, then it allows you to have a more scientific mindset when you go through life. And I think yep. that's really important. And so, you know, you know, that experiment with your ankle mobility also requires you to sort of gather some baseline ankle mobility. It requires you to uh, have a good way of measuring ankle mobility so that you're not just measuring something differently every time. And so there are some sort of elements, like some of the nuts and bolts that go into this, um, and yeah, I think fundamentally though, it's just like, how do we design productive experiments that give us some sort of insight into our health that we can then apply more broadly to our health and move forward and make progress with our health. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, hopefully that I was, makes sense. It, I was thinking like um, one way that you could like, a, so this is the very end where we're talking about proposing experiments for the lesson. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're doing? Well, the last thing I, I want, I wanted to just add in there is this whole notion that the more experiments you do, the more data you have, the more certainty you can have with your truth. Uh, if you do one experiment, you can't say, oh yeah, that's the truth. That's it. And so I think, you know, if experiments are done systematically and they're done effectively, the more experiments we do, the more data we collect, the more certainty we can gain that we're looking at a, a fundamental truth. And I, mm-hmm. I think the cool thing is that if we're all doing experiments and we're distilling out what the most important things are from those experiments, and then we share all of our experiments with each other, we have way more data as a collective to make better approximations of truth than just individually. Um, I also think there's a lot of value of thinking in probabilities where you're not a harm percent certain about anything. You can be mm-hmm. fairly certain, but the idea of not being a hundred percent certain, I think, uh, aligns with your notion of being open-minded. If you're a hundred percent certain about something, you are not open-minded to being proven wrong, right? If you're 99% certain about something, uh, you have a high degree of certainty, but you're, there's still that 1% where you could be proven wrong if better information comes to light. And I think that's important. Um, And one more thing to note with experiments is like our memories aren't that good. And so when you're collecting data, it's very important to log this in your health log because we need to be able to have tangible data to work with. And so logging things avoids you needing to use memory, which is not a good, uh, it's not very good in humans for remembering things accurately. Uh, And then also the notion of how you measure things is very important, right? The data you collect Mm -hmm. must be collected effectively. Uh, cause if you're not measuring, you're basically guessing. And if we're guessing, we're not going to get a really close approximation to truth. Like we're not going to be able to see patterns as obviously if we're kind of guessing. Um, so yeah, the limits of our memory, make sure you log everything down. And then also the notion that we need to measure accurately in order to get, um, accurate results. So. Yeah. Just really, just really quick about the, um, um, memory situation. I was looking at like how our brains naturally want to do the least energy intensive. They want to go the least energy intensive route so that we are actually not, our brains actually don't want to go the critical thinking data collection, or they don't want to go the critical thinking, like remembering and like doing the work of remembering. They want to go to the narrative and the story and the easiest route. So I just wanted to make sure that I put that in there about like how important it is for data collection. And then maybe an experiment to try would be like to do two lists in your, in your logbook, um, to do a list of like, what's working well with your health. Like, what do you love about the, your body and how it's working? Like, what are the things about your health that are working really well and list those things. And then what are the things that are not working and then pose your questions and design your experiment from that. What do you think? That's a great that? idea. Cause fundamentally you have to identify the problems to ask good questions on how to solve the problems. Um, and also the good stuff too. Like if you have something that's working really well, like let's say I, my sleep is fantastic right now. Well, why do what answer pose the question? Why is it that my sleep is working really well? And then you could actually, I, I just wanted to like throw in there, like how it doesn't have to, Oh, here comes the policeman. Let's see what he says. Let's just keep it rolling this time. Okay. Well, he's a, he has a gun. Does he actually? <laughs> he does. There's a policeman I'll, coming to tell you to not sit on the floor. No, he's just strolling the periphery, but 
if I seem a little nervous, it's because I, I am. <laughs> That's all right. I'm going to recommend five experiments. We'll close the okay. sucker out and then we'll Let's close it out. get these chair police off our backs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so some experiments Yes. Uh, from small to big. Number one, explain the scientific method to someone. If you want to, if you really want to prove yourself that you understand something, explain it to someone else who may not have a context for it. So good experiment to try, explain the scientific method to someone. Um, design a seven day experiment that requires 10 daily minutes of data collection, right? That's a good, easy um, rep. It's like, okay, for seven days in a row, I'm gonna do this experiment. Each day I'm gonna collect data for 10 minutes. And at the end, I can kind of look at all the data and see if I can find any patterns. Um, a bigger version of that would be design a 30 day health experiment, um, and share it with your pod, right? Like one experiment, one project that we did, uh, in last year's footnote program was meditate for five minutes every day for 30 days in a row. And that one has kind of simple data collection. It's like, did you do it or didn't you? And if you didn't, why didn't you do it? Uh, and if you did do it and it was challenging, why was it challenging? So that's a, that's kind of a, a bigger experiment. Um, Outlining to yourself the framework for an experiment, I think is a good exercise as well. Uh, and then write down, you know, maybe five experiments you really want to do over the course of this program. And that, that list of five might change, but like write down five experiments you can think of today that you want to do over the course of the Footner program. So that if you have issues with these experiments, you can talk to the community and say, Hey, I'm trying to do this experiment. And am I asking the right questions? Am I doing it in the right way? Here are my results. Has anyone else done this experiment? Can we compare results? So yeah, those are just some kind of um, seed, seed templates for experiments that you can try. And anything else to say before we close this one out? No, if I got sent to jail, will you guys come and bail me out? Come bail you out. <laughs> I wonder if they'll make you sit in chairs in jail. In chair jail. <laughs> oh boy. No, I think, I think let's have the outro and we will... Um, so I'll just say from the public library um, that we hope you found this lesson on the scientific process helpful. We hope you take notes in your log and talk with your learning partners and your podmates about the lesson. And remember that listening to this is proof of work and we love you lots and ciao for now. Ciao.